Let me invite you to pray with me. Holy Spirit, be with us now in these moments as we, as we consider your holy word. Open our hearts and our minds so that we might make ourselves available to your love. Make ourselves available to your grace, to the, to the work of your Holy Spirit. Through the power of your living word. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through me, and if need be, in spite of me, so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. So, I want to share with you uh, our passage for this evening, which is from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And I'm actually going to start with the last words of the previous chapter uh, from chapter 12, which um, really are setting up what he writes in the 13th. So, hear these words. I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And the greatest of these is love. So, I, I titled this sermon, A More Excellent Way, which, of course, is something most of you don't even know, and that's fine. It's just, you know, the title on my page. And uh, those of you who read the Tuesday Word very diligently, maybe you knew that, and that's fine. But really, beyond the title, I don't even know why I just shared that, except that Paul sets this up, and he says, okay, listen, I... You've tried this way, it's not working, let me give you a more excellent way. And I want to just begin by saying, 
a more excellent way of, of what? Because I dare say that, that this is a passage that most of us know or, or have heard before. Maybe you saw it in some beautiful calligraphy or stencil or, you know, knitting or something, and it was up on the wall or it was in this beautiful church Bible study classroom or you heard it read at a wedding. How many have heard it read at a wedding? Yeah, ev- literally every single person here has heard it read at a wedding. I have read it at weddings. I mean, it's just, it is, it's there. And in part because it's absolutely beautiful. It's challenging, I think, but, it, but fundamentally, deeply, it is this eloquent, beautiful promise of what love is, what love can be. But, but I want to think for a moment, and first of all, with what is Paul inviting us to? A more excellent way of what? And so, just to set the stage a little bit, let's remember that Paul in this letter to Corinth is responding to disunity. He's responding to the turmoil, the, the separation that is happening within this church. And so it's a call here, especially perhaps, not just to unity, but to a unique unity, a unique way of coming back together, a more excellent unity, if you will. Paul is acknowledging that there is great division in the body, and he is inviting them to a still more excellent way. Now, We are in the midst, our denomination, of a potential separation. We are a body of Christ that doesn't always get along 100%. That might seem shocking to some of you, but of course there's always a little disunity even here. The reality is is whether we are talking about our denomination or this particular body of Christ or the church as a whole or the body politic or, goodness gracious, can we just say people in general, we know that, yes, there is division vision in the body. And so I want to think about what this more excellent way is actually calling us to tonight. The first thing I have to just point out that I love that feels so foreign or even alien, I should say, Paul doesn't place blame here. He's not pointing the finger. The more excellent way is not you. You're the troublemaker. You just get out. Just just go. But quite the opposite, in fact, but calling us to a kind of living out God's love in our lives in new ways. Our response to God's saving work in our lives is to live differently. And and here's the thing I want us to take a moment to think about, too. When we talk about salvation, mostly what we think about and what we hear about is what we're being saved from. From. I mean, you can't drive down the highway anymore without one of those billboards asking you if you know where you're going to go when you die, right? It's got some flames on it. It wants to scare you a little bit. Hey, guys, are you sure you're not? If you died right now, would you go to heaven or hell? And the thing, the idea is that that salvation is fundamentally about being saved from sin or condemnation or eternal damnation or hell or whatever you want to call it. And listen, I'm not throwing that out. I'm I'm not saying that's not true. That is true. 
We also think that salvation is saving us for something, and that's the other sign, the other billboard, the other side of the billboard maybe, is that then there's heaven, you know? Uh, there is this eternal reward, and we're, we're being saved for that one day when, when God's full kingdom will come into fruition, or what Revelation 21 talks about with, with the, the new earth. But all of that's down the road. And part of what Paul calls us to in this moment is to think about this moment. Note for a second with me again the immediacy of Paul's words when he doesn't say, one day, if I'm speaking. No, he says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I mean, he's pointing out with these powerful and almost potentially dismissive words about his own eloquence being worthless if right here and now they don't come from and he isn't living with love. So yes, we are saved from, and yes, we are saved for things to come, but we are also saved for the here and now, and I think part of what Paul is suggesting is that above all, we are saved and set free to love. And as we've been thinking about, as we've gone through Corinthians together, I want to also say we have been gifted for love, empowered and called and enabled to love. And, and here's the thing, too. Part of what I love that he does here, and apparently what a lot of people do, because again, this is a passage we've all heard, is not just any love. This is the love that God has shared with us. This isn't the kind of rom-com, oh my gosh, she took off her glasses and now she's the prettiest girl in the school, so I totally love her kind of love. This is a very different kind of love. Listen again to the description, this beautiful paragraph. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is a scriptural call, a scriptural definition, description of love that invites it to be at the very heart of who we are and at the very heart of how we engage with one another. That's, that's the more excellent way that Paul invites not just the church at Corinth, but all of us believers to live. Not, not just in our romantic relationships and not even as just a way that we can seek to express the way God loves us, but this is a call on how to live to live with one another, to live into this more excellent way. And yes, not just with one another, but those people that we engage out in the world. As we have sang tonight, to think about the ways that people will know who we are is how we love. Now, just a, a few quick thoughts here that I just I wanted to try and share tonight. The first is, and I, I could not get away from sharing this it's a little bit of an aside, call it a planned squirrel chase, if you will. But I, I've heard some preaching recently, actually, uh, relatively so, that has sort of poo-pooed the idea of using this in weddings. Because they say, you know, you shouldn't use this in weddings because, um, you know, this is about living in community. This is about getting past 
the challenges and the difficulty and, and being together. And all I can think of is, and I say this as someone who is not married, so, you know, take it for, for what it's worth, but isn't that precisely what you want to share at a wedding then? Is thinking about two people who are about to embark on this kind of commitment and lives together that they could have no possible idea of what, what till death do us part will actually entail? I personally think it's the great place to read this. So, first of all, I am in no way suggesting that. I think it's a great place to read it. But the point is also that we should be thinking that love is patient, love is kind, when we're in line at the grocery store. (laughs) Love is patient, love is kind when we're driving down the highway and that guy cut us off. Love is patient. Love is kind when we find ourselves across the table once again from somebody who is, oh my gosh, they watched the wrong news channel. And the ideas that they have are making my blood boil. All of those scenarios and a dozen more that I didn't write down or think of that you're going to have in your life tonight or tomorrow that's, this is the call, the call to find ways to live in a more excellent way. It's a tall order, all right? I know that. But it is something that is so immense, so important, that Paul suggests that without it, even if you were the most eloquent, powerful, well-versed person in all the world, At the end of the day, you're as effective as a clanging cymbal. It's not going to actually be a part of what God is doing in the world if it doesn't start from love. So here's just my thought on this is, I know that's hard. (laughs) As I've shared with you before, probably the prayer I pray more than anything is God Help me to love. Because it's hard. I know it's hard. But I also know it's something that I can get better at. I know it's something that God wants me to get better at. And of course, I'm not speaking of any of you all here. You guys are easy to love. And not actually, you, you are. You all are very easy to love. Now, to be fair, I don't know who's watching. So some of you, I might be praying that for you. But everybody here that I can see, you know. But think about it for a second. Again, what Paul is saying the severity of, the, of the, the distance between what it would mean, even if you were the most eloquent and well, you know, it's nothing without love. And that this is the call, this is the way that we are called to, to interact with one another. I mean, Paul is saying, even, even as severe as, look, if I, if I know this person is my enemy, I still have to respond in love. And without that, I'm nothing. If I am out in the world and I'm seeing people who are different than me, whether it's a a different race or ethnicity or orientation or background or socioeconomic, whatever, if my interaction with them begins with anything less than love, then I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I mean, just thinking about this being at the very heart of how we engage every person, every situation. The bottom line is, I'm trying to preach on one of the most beautiful and well-known eloquent passages of Scripture. I'm certainly not going to match Paul's eloquence or his brilliance, but I hope 
if nothing else, what you hear from Paul, and I dare say also from me a little bit, is that this is an invitation to understand that part of the salvific work of God is to set you free to live this way. It's hard, but it's different, and it is a more excellent way. To understand that God's salvific work is not just saving us from eternal damnation, which again, I don't, I'm not trying to dismiss, but to think about the ways that God's saving work is working in us here and now and inviting us to a more excellent way. And Paul is saying to us, you know how that begins? It begins with love. The love that God has shown us and the love that we express and live out as we interact with one another. It doesn't ignore the difficulties. It doesn't pretend that there is an evil in the world. It just says that, you know what? We, as those who have been forgiven, we, as those who have been saved, we don't have to work with the same tools. We can lead with love rather than condemnation. We can lead with love instead of anger or instead of resentment. The transformation that God is and will continue to work in each of us makes this available to us. They will know that this is happening by our love. And we are invited in to living out this kind of love. As we live, as we interact, and as we express the ways God is at work in our lives. So I want you to just hear these words once more. Acknowledge them as an invitation. Acknowledge it as a difficult one. But hear it as an expression of a more excellent way that you have been invited to and empowered to be a part of through the work of the Holy Spirit. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things endures all things. Love never ends. Amen.